tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. Here we are at Blazing Desert Comic Con in San Luis, Arizona, and my guest right now is the renowned actor Vic Mignogna. <laughs> Who Mignogna. told you that? Renowned. <laughs> um, it's nice to be here. Thank oh, thank you so much for having me. Yes, thank you. Thank you for coming down to uh, the Desert Southwest. And Absolutely, I'm, I'm having a great time. You know, so many wonderful people. Oh, I'm, I'm, I, I hope uh, you know we've been able to throw on a good. A uh, con for you, and you get to meet a lot of great people down you here. You have, you know, you really have, and it's it's so you know it's so interesting. You do a lot of big events, and you know, twenty, thirty, a hundred thousand people, and the people that are in smaller areas they don't they don't expect that anyone would ever come down, and so I particularly enjoy um, getting to do events in areas that that don't have as many people because they're always so appreciative that, you know, that you took the time that it wasn't just like, Oh, well, I only do the big paydays, you know, in Chicago and LA. And, um, I love these events and, uh, a chance to interact with the fans a lot more too, which is always a great thing. Yeah, I know. Uh, I would assume, yeah, with a more intimate setting, like a smaller con like this, you know, uh, you get to spend a lot more time with individual fans and, and get the, you know, the people who love your work and, and are, are pre- really appreciative to, to be to And see I am you. very appreciative of them. <laughs> um, we have a lot of uh, fans of your voiceover work in, uh, in, in our you. audience, uh, as well as some of our hosts. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Good, good. Uh, so uh, we'd lo- I'd love to, to hear, uh, I know you went over it in your spotlight panel, but like, how did you get started in the voiceover work? You know, so by accident, so much by accident, but uh, <clears throat> I had been I've been acting since I was very young, and uh, and then uh, about twenty years ago I was living and working in Houston, Texas. I was writing music, producing music professionally, and a friend of mine and some video production work as well. And a friend of mine that I was working with on a video one day said, "Hey, you should go on audition for this place here in town. They they buy these." the license to these Japanese cartoons and they dubbed them into English and they're looking for actors. And all I heard was acting. And I thought, oh, this is a chance to, to to act in something. So I went and auditioned and I got cast as Vega in Street Fighter 2. And I did it and I thought, well, that was weird. It was it was strange and very different. It's uh can be unnerving to hear your voice, you know, back coming through a character's an animated character's mouth. I enjoyed it, but, you know, it was a very new experience. And I figured it was probably a one-time experience. But it it turned out, you know, they invited me back to do something else, and then Evangelion, and and on and on. And uh, I was just blessed enough to be on the ground floor when anime just started growing. And I was lucky. And I I say, I, I don't mean lucky. I mean blessed. I mean, God really gave me a unique opportunity and put me in just the right place at just the right time. You know what I was thinking? I don't want to get all weird or anything, but I was thinking the other day, um, my anime voice acting career started right about the same time my marriage ended. Had my marriage not ended, I probably would not have gone into voice acting. Never would have took that I most certainly would not have ended up playing a lot of the characters that I've played. 
and wouldn't have the privilege to do things that have been such an amazing gift in my life. So I really do believe that things work together for good, you know, that, that, uh, that there is a plan and, mm-hmm. and, and that you never know where, you know, where a, an unfortunate event can turn into something really, really good. And uh, so the first time you, you looked at the, the script of one of these, uh, you know, licensed Japanese cartoons and I mean, what was going through your mind when you were like, oh, I, this is what I need to, you know, how do I capture this or, you know. Uh, well, you don't. You don't really get to see the scripts ahead of time. It's not like a like a theater, a stage play, or a movie where they give you the script and you go and you learn your lines, mm-hmm. you read it, you you analyze it and tear it apart and get to the root of it. There's no time for that in anime. Um, you walk in and they and you literally say, "What am I doing?" Mm-hmm. And they say, "Okay, get in the studio, go to page thirteen. You're going to play Kunasaki," mm-hmm. and you're like. Who is that? <laughs> and they say, he uh, used to run this organization and he got thrown out because he was too evil. And now he's trying to get back in because he promises that he's turned over a new leaf and he's a good guy. Go. <laughs> and okay. literally, that's you have about that much backstory from the director. If it's a show like Full Metal Alchemist or a show that you're playing a main role an, an ongoing role, um, you learn more about the character. And obviously you can go home and, and go, okay, now that I'm in Full Metal Alchemist, what is this? And what's the story behind it? And and you can start researching it, but you still don't necessarily know until you you get into the studio and do it. And uh, you were saying earlier was, uh, you know, maybe not everybody knows, but when you do voiceover acting, it's just you in the booth by yourself with the director, maybe, or whoever, uh, (laughs) as opposed to uh, live action acting like you do with your Or even prelay. Okay. Um, Family Guy, Simpsons, that kind of stuff is called prelay. Okay. They bring the actors in and the actors record the script ahead of time. So the actors have a great deal more flexibility with the way they perform the the lines. And then the director puts that together. And all the actors come into the studio together. They all sit around a big table with mics in front of each of them. They get to play off of each other. And they play off each other and they do a scene. And then the director hands that scene to the animators. And the animators animate to the actor's um, performance. Mm -hmm. Well, for an anime voice actor... That's what we call a dream, <laughs> a, f- a dream come true, because it would be it is so much more difficult to perform a character in an authentic, believable way, and yet do it all within a very strict, confined mouth movements of a character. The animation is done, and it's not changing. And so, in order to make sure the actors can fit the mouth movements. Every actor records separately, and uh, it's it's a whole different process than prelay. That's uh, yeah, I would imagine so. And I mean, uh, as I was going to get to, is that you also do your web series of? Star yes, Trek I heard you say that, and I was hoping we could talk about that. I that, would love to talk about that's that. That's my dream project. Like that's my childhood dream project. This is my love letter to Star Trek. I this is my gift back. 
to a series that inspired me in so many ways when I was a little boy. I, I started wanting to act because of Bill Shatner and, and uh, Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly. The way they moved me when I would watch that show and I'd be like, I want to do that. So I started auditioning for plays in school because of them. One could say I owe my entire acting career to Star Trek, right? Right. And then at the same time, I would learn to make uniforms. I got my mom to teach me to use her sewing machine because she didn't want to make them. (laughs) So I would make all my own uniforms. And then I would make props and phasers and communicators. And I would round the kids in the neighborhood up and make them wear the stuff I'd made. And I would play Captain Kirk. And I would make little Star Trek episodes on a silent... Eight millimeter movie camera. This is long before there were video cameras. (laughs) Now fast forward 40 years, and I started this web series, taking everything that I have learned in filmmaking and production and acting and making this series with friends of mine to pick up where the original series was canceled in 69 and finish the five-year mission, return the Enterprise to Earth, and account for where everyone is when the motion picture Starts picks up. them up in 79. Um, we have 8 million views. We've made 11 full-length, beautiful episodes, all with compelling stories and rich themes and messages um, they're beautiful. I, I mean, I, I know that may sound, you know, like, like yeah, of course I'm going to say that. <laughs> Certainly I'm not objective, but but they are. I would say. And even. like, you know, as many people, so many people have enjoyed them. And uh, we've won dozens of awards. Um, I'm very, very proud of, of Star Trek Continues and what we've done. And uh, as you noted a second ago with uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture, do you... When you're writing them or creating the episodes, do you take into account where that, the fact that you know where this, the story eventually is well, going to Well, not, not with every episode, but with the last three or four, we were thinking, okay, what are we needing to accomplish in our series, and where do we want these? We know where they end up, but how did they get there? Like, when we, when we find Spock... At the beginning of Star Trek, the motion picture, he was on Vulcan. Mm-hmm. He'd left the service, and he went back to Vulcan to, to pursue a, a discipline called the Kolonar, mm-hmm. which is the purging of all remaining emotion. Why did he do that? What would have happened Between. in Spock's life that would make him feel like he needs to go back to Vulcan and address this emotion thing seriously? Right. Kirk, oh my God. You would have you would think you would have to drag Captain Kirk kicking and screaming off the bridge of his ship how much he loved the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Why would he ever accept promotion? Why would he why? Um Dr. McCoy left the ser- the service altogether, walked away from Starfleet. Why? All great question. Yeah. <laughs> so we we started crafting Stories to explain why those characters made the choices they made to take them where they were when the motion picture picked up. 
And I feel like we've done a really good job with it. And everyone that's seen it certainly seems to agree. I was going to say, with the, the amount of views that you said you had, I mean, that's obviously a, a lot of people were enjoying it. Our two-part series finale is, uh, episodes 10 and 11 are a two-part series finale. A series finale. I mean, you, you, you know how iconic that is? Very. Like Star Trek didn't have an ending. Right. There was no finale of the original series. We did what has never been done, and I would wager will never be done again. We completed the five-year mission of the Enterprise. It's iconic. Even if it were bad, it would be iconic. But what we've done is really beautiful, and, and I'm very proud of it. Yeah, so if I must say, bold as uh, you know, yeah. for uh, yeah. the five-year mission, like you said, every episode started with uh, Shatner saying in Kirk uh, yeah. on the five-year missions. And I, you know, and I fulfilled my childhood dream of getting to pay homage to a character that was very much a father figure to me when I was a little boy. My parents were divorced. My dad was gone, and uh, and I loved James Kirk, and um, so. The privilege to play the character and to to pour all of my love and passion into into that character was a great privilege, great thrill. When was it that you felt like now is the time that I can I can do this? I can perf- I can get this dream off. Well, it was a series of events. Um, I had done, I had helped out with some other S- Star Trek fan films, and as I'm sure you know, whenever you say fan film. You, it immediately conjures up an image of, you know, a bunch of middle-aged old old guys, you know, who don't belong in Star Trek uniforms, if you know what I mean. No acting experience. It's hard to watch. Like fan films, they love what they're doing and it's fun, but, you know, they're, they're not always that great. Right. All varying levels of quality. Mm-hmm. And I was asked to help out a couple of other fan productions and I, the guys were great and I enjoyed it. But I walked away from those productions thinking, damn, this could be done so much better. If if we were to get really good actors and really good stories, but more than that, build amazing sets, costumes, and then master the lighting and the camera angles and the music and sound design and editing and makeup and everything that goes that went into making Star Trek Star Trek, this could really be done a lot better mm-hmm. than anyone has ever done it. And that's what I set out to do. And at the risk of being very partial, I feel like that's what we did. I, I mean, like I said, it, it's, it is beautiful. So uh, it's amazing that you would get to do it. Is, was there any hurdles in getting it made that... You would like to... Well, the hurdle, the main hurdle is that when you can't pay people and we couldn't, we didn't have the money because you can't charge money for Star Trek because it belongs to CBS. Right. Somebody else owns that property. So you can't just make Star Trek and then sell episodes. But that's not why I made it. I never intended to make any money with it. I just wanted to pay tribute. Right. Well, now that's beautiful, but flying people to a studio costs money and feeding them food Mm -hmm. for 10 days while they shoot an episode costs money. And you know what else? Hotels. Can you believe it? They charge you to stay there. I can't believe it. Um, Camera equipment, lighting equipment. They don't care that I love Star Trek. No. These things have to be paid for. 
So the biggest hurdle I would say was in, I wouldn't even say in funding the series because I paid for the first episode myself out of my own savings because I believed in it and I wanted to. I felt it was in unethical actually for me to ask perfect strangers to give me money to do something that they had no idea if I could do or not. But once, once we did it, one of the hardest things was to keep everyone to keep coming back. You know, like if I said, hey, will you help me shoot something? I don't have any money. You'd probably go, sure, man, the first time. Right. But if I asked you to do it again and again and again, you'd start being like, you know what? You know, I did it. You know, I, I, can, I helped you out that first time. You know, I need to do something to get paid. Exactly. I, I, can't, I can't afford to just keep coming down there. Thank God. Everyone in our, with the exception, when we're talking, we're talking about like 30 or 40 people here. With the exception of maybe four, everyone that made the first episode made the last episode. Wow. Everybody came together every time for four years and 11 episodes because they believed in it, because we all developed a, a great love and affection for each other. And it was like coming together with family. And we just happened to make something beautiful at the same time that we came together twice a year for eight or ten days. It's always a challenge to be able to accomplish something like this when you don't have the leverage of money. If you can't throw money at someone and say, look, I'm paying you $1,000, do what I tell you to do, or I'll hire that guy to do it. Well, sure, you can get stuff done that way. But Mm -hmm. if you don't have $1,000, then you are completely dependent upon the good graces and the kindness and the generosity of of other people. And I'm very, very humbled and and very grateful to tell you that Star Trek Continues production team, cast and crew, were absolutely full to the brim with those kind of people. That's awesome. Uh, You know, definitely... uh Something to aspire to. It was extraordinary. I've been on a lot of sets, my friend. And it's extraordinary that you get the same people coming together time after time after time. And no fights, no dramas, no blow-ups, no disasters. Everyone's happy to be there, happy to be around each other. And uh, that's truly extraordinary. Right. One of two things happens in a production. You either push people, you, if, when you push hard, when you push people really hard to get something done, one of two things happens. Either you get along great and you mess around and play and laugh and you don't get anything done, or you push them really hard and you accomplish what you're trying to accomplish, but when you're done, everybody can't wait to get away from each other. Like when the day is over at 6 p.m. or 7 p.m., everybody scatters and like, get me away from these people Mm -hmm. until I have to be back here tomorrow at 8 a.m. That didn't happen with us. We would work all day shooting and then we would all go out. Literally the last half an hour of the day, everyone's running around going, where are we going for dinner? And somebody (laughs) decides on a restaurant and 40 people descend on a restaurant (laughs) and we eat, drink, hang out, laugh, joke play all night long like it's an amazing it was an amazing experience that is very uncommon in the industry i would imagine so um 
Uh, so then, with the the sets and the costuming that were made for, did you get to keep that? Did you? Uh, well, I owned everything. Right. I paid to have the sets built. I rented the building that the sets were in. Um, and re- just recently, after we finished our series, it became very clear to me that I can't keep paying the rent on a building that we're not. We have no money coming in. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, and so I started kind of putting the feelers out to find somebody who might be interested in taking it over. And we found a really good guy, and uh, he's taken over the sets, and they are right there where they were when we shot, all still standing. I'm going down there in a few weeks. I, I always look for an excuse to go <laughs> see my girl. And uh, and I, we still have all of the costumes and props. They're all, you know, locked up in storage. I did tell the uh, the new owner that I was taking the captain's chair, though. I was going to say, you I, know, I was I was chair. taking the captain's chair off the bridge, and, and that's going to be mine, <laughs> the one that we actually shot in. So he's having another one made to replace mine. That's awesome. I, I, I can imagine just it's just sitting at the house, just ready. To... It will be. <laughs> yep, it will be. Uh, which was the the better day, the better feeling, the first day on set of that, or the last day on set? Wow. That's a great question because you know what? First day was terrifying because you don't know how it's going to turn out. But it's the start of your dream. Yeah. The last day was really hard. Yeah. And I think even the last thing we shot, we, we scheduled this. We, we purposefully scheduled the last thing that we shot on the last day of our last shoot was Admiral Kirk walking around the empty, dark bridge one last time. And everybody in our production left their respective areas. The wardrobe people came over, the makeup people came over, the prop guys, everybody came over and were all standing around the bridge as I walked around there and we shot that final scene. And... uh it didn't even really sink in, you know. It's like something in you is like, ah, we'll be back. No, no, you won't. You know what I mean? Um, only now um, has it little by little kind of sunk into me that that the production is really over, over. That the the episodes have all been edited. They're all released. People are enjoying them all over the world. And our job is done. Um but that last day was very difficult for very different reasons than the first day being very difficult because mm-hmm. we had no idea. When we made the first one, I, I didn't know if we'd make a second one. There was no – this wasn't going to be a series um, because what if it wasn't – what if it didn't turn out good? Well, then nobody was going to give you any money. Mm-hmm. Nobody would donate any money to help out if it wasn't that great. So I paid for the first one thinking, well, we'll see how people like it. And we put it out there, and people loved it. And um, and that was when we started crowdfunding to make the subsequent episodes. And every one, I'm very proud to say, is better than the last. Like, our all of our production people just kept getting better and better. And, uh, you know, just... Um, it was it was just a, an overwhelming experience the whole time. Every episode was more fun than the last. That's, that's great. Uh how did you find the crowd uh, crowdfunding like uh, process in general? I hated it. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I hated it so bad. <laughs> I, I I said often, 
I would give anything in the world to just find some really rich guy who loves Star Trek, you know? I would, I would, or if I were a multimillionaire, I'd just pay for it. Did you talk I'm to not, and or sorry? the guy that produces the, the new shows? The answer is no, because we aren't official Star Trek. Right. Um, I knew we w- never would be. Um, but I know that there are a lot of rich guys out there who loved Star Trek when they were kids. And if they found us and liked what we were doing, they'd be like, here, here's a hundred grand. Like, no skin off my nose. Be like you pulling out a, you know, $10 bill and come right, here right. Have, have at it. To them, that, it, it would be like that. Um, so um, I wish that would have been the case. We did, toward the end, we did have some people, uh, some really wealthy donors who came along and helped out, helped us finish. But I really did not like crowdfunding at all. I just hate asking people for money. Right. But the good news is we proved what we could do. Mm-hmm. And that's the important thing. There are too many crowdfunding campaigns out there that promise all kinds of pie in the sky. And then you give them their money, your money, and then nothing ever happens. Nothing shows up. For and you're like, where'd my money go? Oh, well, they flew around the world in first class and they bought themselves <laughs> a lot of nice dinners and whatever. But what they said they were going to do never happened. So I'm very, very proud to say that Every penny that was ever donated is right up there on screen. We did everything we said we were going to do when we said we were going to do it, exactly as we promised. In fact, in many cases, we over-delivered. Well, I imagine you know, that the fans enjoyed every bit of it, so that, that's, uh, that's wonderful. Um, when all the different, going back to the voice acting, all the different voice acting that you've done, uh, do you see, do you feel like... Uh, it creeps into your everyday life at all? Uh, do you do you do voices just pop up when you're when you're in mid conversation, casual conversation? Well, I've always I've always been the kind of person who like you know will call somebody and do some funny voice or something. Not from any particular show. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm like, oh, I'm going to call McDonald's and talk like Edward Elric. No, it's not any particular character. But I love to. I, I've always since I was a little kid, I loved messing around with you know trying to make some funny different voice that didn't necessarily sound like my natural voice. So that's been a, a regular part of my life and it just it's just a real, you know, serendipitous blessing that I get to do it do you, you know, professionally. Do you when uh you when you come up to a new character, do you uh you workshop ideas in your in your mind of what the voice uh, should be? Again, you more? don't have that kind of time usually. Right. Usually you'll you'll give it a shot and the director may say, um Lower your voice a little bit. Okay. And then you'll talk like this for a while. Mm-hmm. And then the, the director will say, okay, give him a little more of a crafty, conniving feeling. Okay. <laughs> Is that a little bit better for you? You know what I mean? Yeah. And he'll go, okay, that's good. Let's go. And it's that quick. Like, or, you know, or make him a nerdy high school kid you know and you do what you think is a nerdy high school kid and the director go yeah maybe not that nerdy you know and just just dial it in you just kind of work together to come up with what the director's looking for oh and uh for someone wanting to get into that business you know if they what what's something a practice that you feel that they should start on before they can well i've told people for for many many years the operative word in voice acting is acting Mm -hmm. it's not about voice 
It's not about imitating characters you like. I can do a great Yoda, but somebody's already playing Yoda. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, probably not going to get cast as you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So it's not about imitating characters you like. It's not about making funny voices or sounding like so-and-so or whatever, making people laugh. It's about playing a role. It's acting. And you need to be able to communicate the emotions and the attitudes of a character solely through your voice. And uh, so acting is the first thing I tell people. If you're interested in getting into voice acting, get into acting. And then the second thing is you just have to be where the work is. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the unfortunate truth of the world. You know, if you want a job in a certain thing, Go your best that. chance is going to be where that particular thing is done most prevalently. And uh, would you do? Oh, do you personally have a regiment that you do for your voice? No, I probably should have a long time ago, but I don't. No, no. Um, rest and water are the two best things. And knowing your limits, you know? Yeah, some, play, some people are like, I can scream for four hours and it doesn't hurt at all. God bless you. You should be a voice actor. You know what I mean? Um, but knowing at what point, if I yell again, it'll take me two weeks to recover. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, and trying your best to protect your voice. I, I used to do all kinds of crazy things and it never occurred to me um, I used to do a lot of crazy things with my voice, but I wasn't a voice actor, and people weren't putting a thousand dollar microphone in front of my my mouth, and and I you know didn't have to have my voice, and it wasn't until I started voice acting and singing that I realized how many things affect your voice: the weather, mm-hmm. allergies, foods, yelling too much, not enough sleep. I mean. Many things, a lot of things you don't always have control of. So um, when I started voice acting, I started realizing, oh, my gosh, I, I don't quite sound the way I did yesterday. Or um, ah, I don't really have the highest part. Uh, you know, I can't really access that point today. Um, and you start realizing you're a lot more, you know, you're a lot more like, oh, I got to gotta pay more attention and mm-hmm. be more careful. Because I never really cared about it until... <laughs> It became part of your job. And I would assume, uh, you know, when you're in front of the live action in front of the camera, you have your body language to, to also rely on. But exactly. this is all. An actor, an on screen actor or on stage actor, has a, a number of different tools that a voice actor does not have. Um, so, yeah. And uh, uh, when having to match your performance from before, when you come back to like the next day or whatever, is that the. I mean, is that the most, is that difficult or I don't want to say most difficult, but. Um, it is at first, like when you start an anime series, you'll, you'll do the first couple episodes and then you'll come back a month later to do the, the next episodes. And you're like, who is this guy? Mm-hmm. What, what did I do? And they'll play you a reference. They'll play you a recording from the last time you were there and you go, ah, oh, okay. I remember him now. The more you do a show, the uh, the easier it becomes to recall the character quickly. But starting off, it you know, you need a little help remembering, right. especially if you're working on ten shows at the same time. Right. Yeah, that would I would imagine so. 
Uh, you were talking about your your love for the original series, Star Trek: The Original Series. What about the all the new iterations of it? You know, Discovery just came out in CBS All Access. Well, I, I like Discovery um, mostly because I have a lot of friends on Discovery, and I appreciate that they're trying to bring Star Trek to a new generation. It's not my Star Trek, but that's okay. I'm okay with that. I'm not mad that it's not my Star Trek. Mm-hmm. It wasn't made for me, and I'm totally fine with that. I've watched it, and I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoy the actors very much. Jason Isaacs is a dear friend. Rekha Sharma, Doug Jones are really dear friends. And uh, and I like it. Um, but the original series... I discovered the original series at a very, very important developmental moment as a little boy. And nothing's ever going to touch that. You right. know what I mean? You, mm-hmm. Nothing compares to that. There are people that feel that way about Next Generation because they discovered Next Gen when they were kids. Or they were a Deep Space Nine fan. Or uh, Voyager was their Star Trek when they first discovered Star Trek. That's cool. Live and let live, man. You know, that's what I, that's what I say. I, I don't diss any of it. I have my particular uh, favorites, and, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for all of it. And, and just to wrap up, you know, in your, your journey so far, what's the, one of the best lessons that you've learned uh, that you'd love to pass on to your fans and uh, the people listening? I've learned a lot of lessons. <laughs> um. Gratitude. Um, being grateful for what we have, what you've been given. Not always looking across the street and going, oh, that guy's got more than me. You know, or why did, why did she get that and I didn't? Or how come I can't make that much money? Or how come I'm not whatever, fill in the blank? That kind of attitude leads nowhere but to an unhappy life. To be able to identify and appreciate all of the things in your life that you do have to be grateful for, I think is is very important and crucial. And I, I love and appreciate the fans that have supported my work and like my work, and um, I want the very best for them. You know, a lot of them are feel lonely and kind of disgruntled and cut off or maybe a little cynical or a little worried or scared about what the future holds and I just want to I would I would want to encourage them to to ground their days in in gratitude because good things come out of that I've I've really learned that good things come out of that if you approach life with a with an optimistic attitude of gratitude uh, it really changes the trajectory of your of your life. That's uh, incredible. Thank you. Thank you for coming. And My pleasure. Spending your time. Uh, I know My you're pleasure. a busy person. So, so this has been Geekly Radio down here at Blazing Desert Comic Con 2018 uh, with Vic Mignana. Thank yeah. you. You nailed it. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Mignana. <laughs> you nailed it. Uh, saying, always remember to geek, geek out. out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.